0: 2020, a new memorial honoring Native American veterans, will stand among other iconic monuments on the National Mall. And the man responsible for that monument lives right here in Oklahoma. Welcome to the Inside OSU podcast. I'm Molly Shagrew. Today, I'm joined by correspondent Emily Bjorkland, who got the chance to sit down with Harvey Pratt, the artist behind this new memorial. Emily, how was to talk to somebody whose art is going to be displayed in Washington, D.C. for as long as there's an America?
1: Thanks, Molly. I had such an amazing time sitting and talking with Harvey about not only his artwork and how much this monument means to him, but his whole entire life journey that's led to this moment. Uh, He discovered his love for art at a very, very young age, and then uh, straight out of school went and served in the military and went to Vietnam. Um, And then when he came back from Vietnam, got his degree from OSU OKC, had a very extensive career at OSBI as a forensic artist and worked on some major cases that you'll hear about in the interview. Being able to sit with him and talk about how all of the things in his life plus his love for art has been able to come together to create something that will, as you said, will live on as long as there's an America was such an incredible experience and I'm so grateful that uh, he was able to sit down and talk to me about all of it.
0: Now Emily, our listeners won't be able to see what his artwork looks like. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. His artwork is quite impressive, and it covers wall-to-wall his home. We did the interview in his home uh, just south of here, and I would say about 90% of his home is covered in his own artwork, and it was absolutely stunning. And he did show us, you know, the pieces of what the memorial is going to look like, and we talked a little bit in the interview about the inspiration that he took from Native American culture to put into this memorial that he is creating. So while you're not able to see it right now since this is an audio podcast— uh, there is a huge piece that OSU and Ostate TV will be putting out that should be out by the time that this podcast is out, so make sure you're checking out ostate.tv to take a look at that, uh, where you kind of get the chance to see not only his artwork, but what the monument is going to look like. For now, listen. <laughs> take a listen here. <laughs> well,
0: let's go ahead and take a listen then. Here's Emily's interview with Harvey Pratt on the Inside OSU podcast. <music>
1: Mr. Pratt, let's start at the beginning. You were born here in Oklahoma in El Reno. Both of your parents are Native American, so technically you're a member of two tribes here in Oklahoma.
2: Yes, I'm. I'm on the rolls with the Cheyenne Arapahos, but I am also a part Sioux. My mother's half Sioux, but she's not enrolled. We're still we're still enrolled with both of them.
1: So, what was that like then, growing up, uh, being a part of those two different tribes?
2: Honestly, uh, it was kind of difficult. You know, I grew up in uh, El Reno and. Uh, with a family that was very cultural and traditional, family, uh, Native Americans, and uh, there was a lot of uh, of uh, racism, so it was difficult for us. And then uh, there was some difficulty because I was both tribes, in Apache and Cheyenne, but I was raised by Cheyennes, and uh, so there was some difficulty there.
1: Uh, sticking with your family, your father did pass away when you were really young. How did that? shape your life moving forward, because you were only nine, right, when your father passed away? Yes,
2: and they buried him on my birthday, and uh, I did not know him very much uh, growing up because him and my mother had uh, separated, and then they later in life remarried.
1: You mentioned earlier the racism that you experienced being Native American in Oklahoma in the 50s and 60s. What was that like for you?
2: We lived in a small town and uh I used to meet a lot of old time indians old time indians from the from the eighteen seventies and eighteen eighties that would come to come to our home because I was raised by my grandfather and my mother's aunt laura Birdwoman and uh, they were all born in the eighteen seventies and uh so we we learned i learned a lot of things about uh, cultural issues and and tradition and and our values you know our native american values and we were told not to talk about a lot of things. She said, because if you talk about them, they may come and try to take them away from us. So there was, it was a, kind of a confusing sometimes to talk about it. And, and then uh, we lived in a neighborhood that was uh, almost totally white and we were the only Indian kids in there. And uh, so my, grand, my aunt Laura used to, used to call us up at night when we were out playing and she would say, she would call us in and then she would go back outside and call us in again. And I, and I said, Aunt Laura, I said, I'm right here, I'm right here, and she said, I know, but your little spirit's still out there. And I'm calling your spirit in because I don't want anything to happen to you. And I, I used to think that was silly until I got older, and I thought, you know, that's, that's pretty cool that they would be concerned about your spirit and your energy and call it in so that nothing in the dark would get it. And I, and I, I thought that was just, as I got older, you know, I, I really appreciated that.
1: Amongst all of that, uh, a passion for art developed. Where did that come from?
2: (laughs) You know, uh, my art uh, passion actually came from my first grade school teacher, Mrs. Jones. I remember her very well. And she told me, she said, well, Harvey, you have some talent, you know, being uh, to draw. And and, uh, I didn't know that I had talent. You know, somebody has to tell you. And I, and I learned that over the years, you have to tell children that they have a skill or a talent, whether it's singing or music or art or whatever it might be, dance, whatever it is. You have to tell because I thought I thought everybody could do that. So I was I was reinforced by my first grade teacher, by my second grade teacher, and by my fourth grade teacher. They all reinforced my art and they encouraged me to to draw Native American things, you know, cultural and dances, and I. And I did that because we were doing those things as young young men, young kids, and uh, so that to me that was important. That uh, they told me that I had a skill and I had a talent, and uh, so I always continued to draw. My older brother told me, he said Harvey, he said I knew you could you draw people because you could draw people and it looked like them when you were just in grade school. He said I thought that was pretty cool, and uh, when I got into high school, I went to St. Patrick's Indian Mission, and. Uh, they didn't, have an, they didn't have an art class, and one day I was just drawing, and the priest saw what I was doing, and he said, uh, do you like to do that? And I said, oh, yeah, i like to draw. And he said, uh, why don't I buy you some material? So he bought me some paints, and brushes, and some pens, and he bought me some supplies, you know? And, and I sold my first painting, you know, in the 10th grade. I sold it for $90. In that, in that day and time, that was a lot of money. You know, $90 was more than a week's salary. To a lot of people, and I thought the light bulb went off, and I thought, oh "My God, I could, I could make a little money doing this," you know. And and I used to paint that, paint that flat Indian art style to begin with, because I, uh, all of those Kiowa fives went to St. Patrick's Indian Mission. and Geronimo was there, and they baptized him there, and all of those artists, and I saw all of their art in that school and in the, in the mission around the walls, and so I painted that style until I developed my own technique and evolved into a what I do now, and I'm, I'm in a state of involvement constantly, changing styles and moving on, trying to, trying to stay current. So it, uh, and I think it all started with uh, school teachers. So that
1: passion for art took you to go to school at OSU OKC. How did then your passion for making Native American art transition into then you wanted to become a forensic
2: artist? Well, you know, I was interested in, in, in art, uh, because it gave me a lot of satisfaction, you know, and I could see that I was developing and and uh, and I had sold some pieces and and I went into the Marine Corps and uh, they saw me doing some things and they asked me to design some things for them, you know, uh, the, the guide arm for the for my platoon and for the military police and for the third recon unit, you know, they asked me to do those things and I made all those designs for them and you know and and I designed our guide arm for. Uh, while we were in Vietnam and you know and uh, so I those things all kind of encouraged me that I knew that I had some skill and uh, I got out of the Marine Corps and I continued to paint and got into some galleries and got into law enforcement and one day uh, there had been some killings Uh, at that time the first time I did a forensic art drawing a witness description drawing was uh, based on uh, somebody that was doing drive-by shootings. And we didn't call them that at that time. And they was doing home invasions. So and we didn't call them that at that time. But uh, uh, they had some people. In mi- I was on the Midwest City Police Department as a patrolman. And the uh, captain said, uh, Harvey, I noticed you, that you, you're, you're, you have some artistic ability. He said, do you think you could go interview this lady that had her husband killed? Her husband was killed in front of her. And then, the, and then the suspect shot her in the face, and we didn't think she was going to make it. He said, you think you could go to the hospital and talk to her and maybe draw somebody? I said, sure. I had no idea. you know, I had no idea whether I could or I couldn't. But I, no one told me I couldn't do it. So I said, yeah, I'll try it. So I did. I went to the, I went to the hospital, and, and I made a drawing. And uh, we disseminated it. And uh, they had noticed a car in a neighborhood that fit one of the drive-by shootings and this was at Christmas time, and this guy had already committed several robberies in residence, and he and he killed this one man at the front door. And so we went into the neighborhood, and they were showing these flyers around of my drawing, and they knocked on a door, and a young girl, I think she was 17 years old, uh, they knocked on a door and they showed her the drawing, and she started crying. She said, well, that's that's my husband. And he was an 18-year-old boy. We made the arrest, and, and once I made that arrest, uh, other departments started contacting me because there was nobody doing forensic uh, witness description drawings. And that kind of opened the door for me uh, while I was at the police department. And during that time, I was going to school at OSU down here in Oklahoma City, and I got my degree from them. And uh, I applied with the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, and my forensic skill was one of the reasons they hired me. Plus, they were looking for Native Americans uh, to, to, to be on their, to become agents. And so that kind of opened the door for me.
1: Take me through some of these bigger cases that you worked on, starting with the first World Trade Center bombing back in 1993.
2: You know, the World Trade Center bombing in 1993, the US Secret Service contacted me. And uh, they were involved in, in some investigation uh, because of uh, threats against the president. And, and uh, they had to develop some witnesses, and uh, they had to developed a witness here in Oklahoma. And they asked me to uh, go out and interview this lady and see if she could describe the people that she, that she suspected. And so uh, I did, I went out and interviewed her and uh, that kind of opened the door for some of the, then I started working with a lot of other law enforcement agencies in the federal government uh, besides the Secret Service and the FBI. I started doing, uh, uh, drawing descriptions of robbery uh, suspects on banks Across the country, and they would send people send me either send me there or I would do an interview uh, on the phone and uh, send send photographs back and forth until we came up with the suspects. And I did the Surlow and Stockade uh, drawings and uh, uh, helped catch those three people. Uh, and uh, at that point, through the Regional Organized Crime Information Center, I got involved with uh, the the uh, Green River Killer. And uh, Ted Bundy and the I-5 Killer, and uh, Henry Lucas, who was who came through Oklahoma and killed some people here in Oklahoma. And I did some drawings on them. Interviewed him. So you know, I've I've had the, I've had a I've had a great career. You know, doing identifying human unidentified human remains all over the country. Uh, it's a uh, it's been it's been I've had very rewarding for what I've done. That's why. I continued to stay, you know, and continued to do it because it was, it was uh, the job satisfaction. You know, I could have, I could have gone somewhere else and made a lot more money, but I stayed here.
1: As a longtime resident and native of Oklahoma, what was it like to be working on the Oklahoma City bombing and working on the uh, the Murray Building? Because it is an event that
2: you know I worked on the the Murray Building bombing and and that investigation and and. Uh, I was at uh, the lab when that explosion went off, and uh, uh, we had initially thought it was a gas line that, it, that caused an explosion. We didn't know, it hadn't heard anything yet, and and uh, Gina and I, my wife Gina and I, uh, were, went. I went home, and she was there, and we sat there, and and I was really kind of reluctant to go down there because when I found out that it that it, uh, there was a lot of fatalities, and that a lot of those guys were my friends. So I didn't want to go down there. But we did. You know, I went down there, but I, uh, I lost two secret Service, were good friends of mine, and, and some of the secretaries were good friends of mine, and, and all those children. And so it was an emotional for me. And I talked to several other uh, veterans from Vietnam, and, and they told me that they didn't want to go down either. They didn't want to go down and, and see that. Because I, I, uh, I'm assuming of, of flashbacks, and so it took me it took me several days before I went down there. You know, I, I just couldn't go down there. And uh, I can say those, those Secret Service guys, guys that I'd worked with for ten years, who were good friends. Drink beers with them, you know. And uh, so we, when I finally did, and and I started doing some drawings, and uh, we. My initial thoughts was it was uh, it was a terrorist uh, uh, a foreign terrorist organization. Then found out it was local guys, you know, and I was just shocked. I couldn't hardly believe that uh, someone would do that to to innocent people, you know. So uh, to me, it was traumatic. I had a, I had a hard time.
1: So the National Museum of the American Indian, which is a Smithsonian recognized museum. Held a competition to see who would create the best design for a monument that would be on the National Mall, dedicated to Native American soldiers, and you won that competition. What does that feel like?
2: You know, when I was uh, looking at the uh, competition for the Native American Veterans Memorial, I had I had no idea that I wanted to do that at all. I said, I said, you know, the they're going to have architectural companies from all over the world competing for that. And I said they're talking about it being a $15 million project. And and I had gone to a meeting uh, that the Smithsonian had set up uh, here in Oklahoma City uh, with the director of the uh, Cheyenne Arapaho Veterans uh, Association. And so I went with him and he said, Harvey, you need to apply for that. And I said, oh no, I don't want to do that. And I kind of put it out of my mind. And, and then he's, another, another meeting came up and he came and I said, let's go to that meeting. And so I went with him again and and uh, I listened to him talk about it, and, and uh, he said, you need to do that. You really need to do that, Harvey. He said, do it for the tribe. You know, do it for our people. He said, you, 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 could, you could win this thing. And I said, I was really pretty skeptical. But I, I came home, and uh, I dreamed about it. I dreamed about it. And uh, I told my wife, I said, you know what? I said, I think I got a pretty good idea. I said, you know. So I'd made some sketches on just big chief tablet paper you know, just some sketches of an idea of my concept. And and I thought the way to do that is is not to draw a specific tribe or a culture, but but draw what tribal people do spiritually, you know, the things that they use. And I said, what do, what do they all use? They all use uh, the elements, water, fire, the air, and the earth. So I said, I need to incorporate that. And then they all use the directions. And so I incorporated the six directions, you know, north and south, east and west, up and down. Some tribes believe that where you stand is the seventh direction. So we all incorporate mother earth and think of all the things that the earth gives us, plants, animals, air, and then the northeast is our ancestors. Our ancestors uh, gave us ceremonies and they gave us tradition. And so we always ask them, to bless us and and that we continue those things, they never they never gave us a written language, but they gave us those ceremonies, and ceremonies are all important to Native American people. so then I think, well, what what is endless is a circle, and Indians people uh, believe in the cycle of life. so I incorporated all those things. We submitted them to uh, to the Smithsonian and to the museum. And uh, they said, well, we're going to release this, the, the finalists, on July the 4th. Well, June the 26th, early one morning, Gina and I were still in the bedroom, and the phone rang, and uh, Gina picked it up, and she said, it's the Smithsonian. So I, she handed it to me, and I said, hello. And he said, hey, this is Don. He said... Uh, I've got some news for you. He said, uh, you're one of the finalists are gonna have to make a competition and, and talk about what you're gonna do and what you're doing before these different committees. And uh, so uh, we made these arrangements to go to, uh, the, to the museum and make our presentations. And so we all did that. One day we went up here and everybody made our presentations and then they, they said, okay, uh, you'll be notified. So again, one morning, I get a phone call and uh, Don says, uh, Harvey, he said, we got some good news and some bad news. He said, what do you wanna hear first? And I thought, well, shit. I said, well, give us, the, give us the good news. And he said, uh, the good news is you won. I said, well, what's the bad news? He said, now you gotta do it. You know, it's been exciting for us. We've had a good time and they put us on a uh, fundraising tour they're going to send us around the country to help raise money, you know, because it's, a, it's a, by donation only. No federal money involved. It's all by donation. And uh, some, uh, some tribes have, have given a million dollars. The Cheyenne-Arapahoes gave a million dollars out of their budget. Took a million dollars to build this memorial. And uh, a Sioux group gave a million dollars. We're about halfway through. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we're excited about it. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased—you know, it never hit me initially while I was doing it until after the fact that uh, a guy came up to me and said, Harvey, it's a big deal, man. What's the matter with you? He said, it's a big deal. He said, don't you realize you're going to be on the mall in Washington, D.C. as long as there's an America? You're going to be there. And I thought, that's right. You know, I just didn't think of it. I was so busy trying to compete and get it done, I never thought of of the total ramification and and the impact that it was gonna have on my wife and my kids, my kids and my grandkids are just over the moon excited about it.
1: Besides forensics, you clearly have a large passion for Native American art. I mean, most of the art here in your house is done by you. How much would you say of it is your original work here?
2: You know, my, uh, my art, as a, not only as a Native American artist, but uh, in other aspects, uh, and I try to share my art experience with uh, children, students, and, uh, and uh, make them realize that they have a skill, you know, if they recognize a skill if they see something. And I, I like to paint uh, faces of, of uh, old-time Indians. I like to paint faces of old-time Indians, and I like to paint stories of, of uh, old-time stories you know of cultural and and historical s- scenes and and uh guys uh taking horses and riding horses off you know and and a, you know so i i do a lot of historical I try to put a story with every painting that i do i think it's important that if you just looked at a at a painting and said well what's that about i can tell you what it means i can tell you what the story's about you know about an honoring or a giveaway or the uh, guys uh in their last life, you know, they're getting they're getting ready to be killed. There's a story with everything that I do, and I think that's important for people to record history and and ledger art. And as the years progress through, I change, you know, the, how people change. So it's uh, art is is a like my brother used to say. He said Harvey said, if, if time I old and I'm dying, he said, and I can't lift up my arms, he said, I'll take clay and put it in my mouth, and and he said, and I'll I'll. Shape it with my mouth, and put my forehead, mash it around until I get what I want. He said, I'll do it till the day I die. And that's the way I feel about it. I'll do art till the day I die.
0: Thanks, Emily. The memorial dedication is set to take place November, 2020. To learn more about it, or to contribute yourself, visit AmericanIndian.si.com. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Inside OSU podcast. I'm Molly Shuguru, and we'll see you again next week.